Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning, good morning. It is uh, Thursday, March the 11th. Um, Tim Keller in the last hour, if you missed him, please go and grab the podcast later today. It will be posted at MyFaithRadio.com, or you can always get it on the Faith Radio app. It's a blessing to get to talk with Tim. Um, Here's one of the things that he said. If Jesus Christ really rose from the dead, everything will be okay. And if he didn't, well, who knows? That is a good question in the lead up to Easter. That is a good question in the lead up to Easter. If Jesus Christ really rose from the dead, everything will be okay. Like that is the <laughs> that is the assurance of our hope. And that is the hope in which we stand. That is the hope we speak into the world. That is the um, help we give other people in terms of having an eternal perspective. Uh, and for people who lack that hope, lack uh, that understanding that Jesus Christ really did rise from the dead, they don't have any reason to believe that everything will be okay. Because if he didn't, then who knows? So that is a good question in the lead up to Easter. Here's the good news. There is um, not only biblical evidence and biblical testimony about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, There are all kinds of historical sources outside of the Bible that attest to the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. Um, If you've never watched the movie Risen, uh, let me commend that to you. That is a a good conversation starter. It's, uh, you know, filling in the gaps uh, in terms of, you know, using a holy imagination and wondering, like, what happened between the crucifixion and burial of Jesus and not only his resurrection, but... uh, the resurrection appearances, what happened to uh, the the Roman centurion, um, what happened to the people who witnessed not only his death, but um, witnessed his resurrection. Uh, it, it is, um, it, it's a provocative conversation starter. If you've never seen it, I commend it to you because it does provoke each one of us to ask, if Jesus really rose from the dead, then what do I do? Um, in response to that, because that changes everything. And if Jesus Christ really rose from the dead, everything really will be okay. All right, Peter Kapsner is up next. I um, I generally hold in the queue um, some some conversations that, you know, frankly, I'm afraid to have with anybody else. And I have them with Peter. And so I have been holding an article from the New York Times because I couldn't imagine discussing it with any other guest. And this is uh, an article, let me just warn you in advance, about drag kings. You've heard of drag queens. Well, apparently drag kings are now ready to rule. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
Joining me now, Dr. Peter Kapsner, because, well, because it's Thursday. Peter, good morning, sir. It is Thursday. I'm not sure that I'm uh, yet used to the new walk-up music. I love the bagpipes. <laughs> I know Paul uh, Perot is all about finding me some bagpipe music, but the final countdown, I don't know if that's in reference to my life, Carmen, if that's in reference to the great restoration that's coming, what that's all about. It's just that our whole week on this program drives to this moment. Oh, oh, oh you know, thank you. You played into my divaness uh, quite, quite effectively right there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I have something that I just call the Kapsner file, and it is the um, the little file on my computer where I put things that I'm afraid to talk about with anybody else. <laughs> because I, I only don't know have a cer- honored or flattered or a little scared. I don't. I don't. I, know. I'm a, I only have a, a certain level of here. courage with some other guests, but with you, I feel like I can go there and it's going to be safe. And Peter is going to help us find our way out of it. So here <laughs> oh, is dear. the um, here is the headline. <clears throat> and the reason that that Peter and I do this, by the way, is because there's so much confusion and brokenness in the culture, um, and we talk about uh, these these things in front of you. Right. As as listeners, as like a third party. Right. So you're listening to Peter and I talk about something that we hope we are going to help you then enter into conversations with others, because even though you and I are not going to drag clubs and probably not watching drag online pageants, other people are like millions of them. And yeah. so for you and I to be um, at least having an understanding and awareness of what's happening in the broader culture in order that we can bring the gospel to bear on it, in order that we can say, look, these blurred gender boundaries that you are seeing in evidence is not God's best. It's not God's design. Um, let me talk with you about the goodness of what it means to be male and female. So, yeah. all right. So drag kings are ready to rule is the headline of the New York Times, the subhead. The blurring of gender boundaries has allowed for more freedom in online pageants and soon it's hoped back in the clubs. And what is featured um, visually uh, are these individuals who are not drag queens, they are drag kings. So what's going on here, Peter? Yeah, that's that's really the point of the article is it's the celebration of a new form of sexual expression called drag king. And it's simply just the reverse of when men tend to dress up like women. In a, in a drag queen kind of pageant. In this case, it is women dressing up as men. And I have to say, Carmen, in working through the New York Times article, there was a, several things that stood out about it, not the least of which on a real macro basis was how glowingly the New York Times wrote about this social phenomenon. It was there was not even a single question mark about whether this are these are healthy expressions for people. If it's leading to a greater sense of peace and love and joy in a person's life, it, it really is. It was in the, the context of the celebration of increasing diversity and also to fighting for women's rights to get paid at the same level that men get paid when they do cross-dressing, when they enter into the, these drag performances. So that was one thing was just how glowingly the New York Times wrote about this this phenomenon. I think the second thing that really stuck out to me was that this really grew as a result of COVID, that, that, that all of these drag king and even drag queen contests went online, didn't they? And, and, and they became available for so many more people to watch it, which that meant so many more people were exposed to it. And, and then what happens is what always tends to happen in these situations. I was, I was sitting here thinking about it this morning a little bit 
about the the Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis. And and it's the story where humankind decides that they're going to build a tower for themselves and they're going to make a name for themselves in the heavens against God. They're going to strive against God. And the story ends with this haunting kind of phrase before God moves redemptively in their midst by breaking them up with the languages. It says, uh, God says, as he looks down at Babel and these people vying against how he has designed things. And he says, nothing will be impossible for them. <clears throat> and, and at first glance in the English, it might just mean, wow, their technology is really improving. They're going to continue to grow this tower. But in the Hebrew, it literally means no sin will be impossible for them. They will invent ways to continue to defy me. It'll get more and more and more. And the reason why I bring up that story is that in this context of the, of the drag king contest that are going on, there is this one line that really came out of the article and it talked about how the drag kings really have to continue to up their game. They have to get more exotic. They have to get sort of more out of the bounds of what were traditional social boundaries. And it just has to go more and more and more to keep kind of titillating the audience and to continue to try to um, gain some sort of attention and notoriety. And, and it, I think, Carmen, theologically, that speaks to the power of sin, of what it does, is it always demands more. It's always, we will invent ways to continue to defy as we walk within the power of sin. That's true for just about anything. It's not just this expression, right? But the more you walk in defiance, the more you invent ways to continue to defy. And I think that's part of what we're watching here theologically. The confusion, um, the brokenness, the self-interest, the always finding a new, more extravagant edge. Um, Here's a quote from the article that just stood out to me, just in terms of, um, I I don't even know quite what word to use. I'll just, I'll, I'll read it and then we can talk about it. So here's the paragraph. Typically, younger performers blur whatever was left uh, in terms of gender lines as uh, Mr. Girl put it, G-R-R-R-L, Mr. Girl put it, right now, if you don't have an AFAB performer, which I had to look up, it means a cisgender woman, a trans man, a non-binary person dressed as a drag queen. So if you do not have an AFAB performer or a drag king in your lineup, you're doing it wrong. Um, There's... I think that maybe one of the things that stands out to me, Peter, is there is some some sense of equity being sought, but it's but the people who are now seeking equity are women uh, performing as men um, in a in an exaggerated demonstration of masculinity and men dressing like women in a grossly exaggerated demonstration of I guess, femininity, and it's all vulgar, all of it. Yeah. Like vulgarity yep. seems to be the, um, uh, you know, really the trade, and then sequins seem to be the, um, you know, the costumery. Yeah. I, I think that's well said, Carmen. I think there's the celebration of the creature that's going on in, in this kind of context, and the invitation to live in God's beautiful world in, in terms of Genesis 1 and 2, that pathway to authentic and increasing shalom and flourishing as his garden mm-hmm. was meant to expand 
was always the pathway of the celebration of the creator. It was always the pathway of the gratefulness of the creator and to walk in the ways that he created, not because he was some big, angry, moral cop in the sky, but because out of love, he desired for us to to also participate and live in the ever unfolding party of delight. And and we were meant to live in those places. And once we, re we reject the creator, a la Romans 1, and decide to celebrate the creature, and maybe we're celebrating through what seem to be positive lenses like diversity or uh, positive lenses of equality. And, and I think, understandably, we need to continue to grapple with those things as a country. But when we celebrate or, or grapple with those things from the celebration of the creature versus the, the submission to the creator, we're going to end up in places that will never lead to shalom. However they might feel in the moment, they're going to always end up leading to destruction. And I think this is yet another invitation for the Christian community to continue to wonder what is authentic masculinity, what is authentic femininity, that is image-bearing masculinity and femininity, and how do we walk in that together? How do we uphold one another? How do we live in the mutual submission of the kingdom, male and female, one with another? Because absent of that kind of witness, it will. It, it, why wouldn't we then celebrate the creature versus the creator when the very image bearers themselves maybe haven't walked in the ways we've needed to walk for a few generations now as the church? Mm. All right. Dr. Peter Kapster and I are going to return in just a moment. And maybe during the break, we have a listener, um, Peter, who thinks you should check out the Red Hot Chili Pipers, which, by the way, is the most famous bagpipe band on the planet. All right. Done. We're going to continue our chat in just a moment. We'll be right back. All right, there's a, a various ways that this headline could have been written. I'm just going to read it as it is, and then I'm going to read two different uh, rewrites that I have written. LGBT identification rises to 5.6% in latest U.S. estimate. Uh, here would be my rewrite. Um, there are now twice as many people in the United States of America who identify as LGBT than as identify as Episcopalian. Mm. Actually, three times as many. Three times as many people identify as LGBT than identify as Episcopalian. Two times as many as identify as Presbyterian in terms of the PCUSA, which would be the, uh, you know, the mainline version of, uh, of a denominational church. We're talking about um, a, a really significant uptick in the percentage of Americans who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and more than half who identify um, in this way describe themselves as bisexual. I, I got to tell you, that's um, that's confusion at uh, a really significant level. It is, Carmen. I, I think it speaks to the profound success of the combination of the state, the educational system, and the entertainment industry in sort of re-educating what sexuality is. Because I think science is so at odds with itself in this particular conversation, because science in terms of both biology and psychology will suggest and will advocate for the idea that young people in particular, but all of us throughout the course of our life are terribly impressionable people. And by, by impressionable, I mean that our values and that our desires and our dispositions and our attitudes and the way we experience and understand the world 
is incredibly fluid. It, it is very impressionable. And so because I grew up in Minnesota, I am a fan of the Minnesota Vikings because my father and I would watch the football games every Sunday. I, I'm not designed to be a Minnesota Vikings fan. I am very impressionable, however, because that was the household in which I grew up. And and by contrast, people in Wisconsin may, for some unknown reason to me, cheer from the Green Bay Packers, right? Because they grew up and they probably have incredible experiences like that. And you can take that idea and stretch it across almost any kind of attitude, disposition, value, desire that we have, because those things are always impressionable. It's, it's why the biblical text says, delight yourself or surrender yourself to the Lord, and he will give you or he will begin to rewire the very uh, attitudes and, and desires of your heart. And I say that because, uh, circling back then to the idea that the, the state and the entertainment industry uh, and the educational system has been for the past decade or so, maybe a little longer now, consistently and powerfully advocated for the blurring of gender lines. So for, for those people who would say that, well, it's always been maybe 5% or 6% or 10% or 15 or 20% of the population is it, hardwired to be uh, somewhere in the LGBTQ movement. Well, that's at odds with science, number one, and that desires, attractions, and dispositions, as I said, are impressionable. And, and now I think we're seeing the, the fruit, quote unquote, uh, of the efforts these last 10 to 12 years. I, I say that from the perspective of having taught sexuality and gender courses since about 2006, and, and I can't even begin to tell you how much the questions have changed, how the confusion has reigned in my classroom. And these are, again, you, you know I say this a lot, these are the best and brightest of our young evangelical kids. And I would say out of a classroom of 30 kids, there might be one each semester that has a, a reasonable understanding of what makes us male and female, what the invitation is to the sexual union covenant, the one flesh covenant of, of Genesis 2. So, so you have this tremendous dearth of, of a biblical understanding of sexuality combined with an incredible effort by the state, the education system, the entertainment industry to re-educate who we are. Is it any wonder then that the stats have doubled? in terms of people identifying themselves this way, because there's so many possibilities now, and young people are so hurting and looking to find any kind of identity and belonging and place to fit in. This, this is the, the place to fit in of the day. And as it's become more acceptable uh, in terms of, of people's belief systems around it, and, and people can find community within it, I think we have a lot of other sociological things going on, Carmen, besides the fact that we're just getting smarter with our sexuality. I, I think that there's uh, there's actually some pretty significant impressionable things going on. I completely 100% agree. Um, I think the identity, belonging, and purpose conversation is one that, you know, we we have to keep circling back around to. It is um, it is the conversation that is most maybe most important for us as adult Christians to be prepared to engage in um, with with children and youth. Um, they are having an identity crisis. Uh, they do yes. absolutely deeply desire to belong to something. Um, and they want to le lead a life that has purpose, um, real meaning. Jesus offers yep. all of that. Um, but if we're not offering Jesus in a way that is both uh, accurate and winsome, the world is going to offer them, you know, counterfeits and substitutes and uh, and even themselves as uh, as a substitute to be uh, to be worshipped and glorified, and so uh, I think more, one of yeah. the one of the heartbreaking parts of this, Peter, is that sexual sin is um, it 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 changes us in a really deep place, and it's so hard then to move into 
a healthy self-understanding and healthy relationships once uh, sort of that Rubicon of sexual sin has been crossed. And so, you know, if you're listening right now and, um, you know, purity has not marked your life, you know, hear us acknowledge that um, forgiveness and renewal and freedom are available and uh, and it's real and you can walk in newness of life. Um, but we also recognize that you're going to need to do that with Christian mentors and friends because it's uh, it's a hard path. Um, it's it is a hard path. And so, you know, my preference would be to encourage you to remain pure um, and to um, remain chaste um, because sexual sin is um, is dark. It's dark and it's a darkness that gets darker and darker the further you uh, journey down its path. Well, and I think I'm going to just up in. I know we're out of time, and I appreciate what Timothy Keller said at last hour about the idea of the importance of that tomb being empty and that the resurrection had happened. And we spend several weeks in my class because my students have been touched in the ways that you just so aptly described on that. And, and we have to take several weeks to talk about the beauty and power and wonder of God's kingdom, that sin and death has been conquered, not just in the future, but in the present. And it doesn't mean we don't have a past, and it doesn't mean we don't um, have a brokenness about us, but there is a different power at work in us in the midst of the brokenness. It is the power of salvation for those who believe, and it's a rescuing and a healing that can begin to take place in our life. You cannot find that in any other corner of the earth. That's why Jesus being raised is such a big deal. Amen. 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 Peter, thank you as always so much. Yeah. Hey, and one last thing. I want to thank the listener for the Red Hot Chili Pipers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm finding some incredible music here that I'm sure Paul and I will, will work together on in the future. <laughs> All right. Peter's going to be yeah. um, guest hosting for me on Monday and Tuesday. Yeah, is that correct? I hope so. I bet, That's what I'm planning yeah, on. I, I believe at least I'll be there. If you're there too, then we'll have a good time so, together. No, no, I won't be. So um, so you guys be looking for maybe some Red Hot Chili Pipers on Monday and Tuesday with Peter Kapsner. Hey, thanks, man. Yep. Talk to you soon. All right. We got to take a break for Breakpoint. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the war, you come All right, we're going to try to do something we've never done before, which is to connect with a guest overseas and a guest here in the United States and all talk together. Josh Irby is uh, coming back to join us and bringing with him his friend Slavko from Sarajevo, Bosnia-Herzegovina, and we are going to talk about Cross on a Hill a personal, historical, and biblical search for the true meaning of a controversial symbol. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Only imagine when that day comes and I find all right, I am welcoming back Josh Irby. Um, we had Josh on just a couple of weeks ago. He lived in Sarajevo for 11 years before moving to Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and we talked with Josh about some other things that he's got going on and learned that he co-authored a book, Cross on a Hill, a personal, historical, and biblical search for the true meaning of a controversial symbol with a friend who he met in Sarajevo. So, Josh, welcome back. And why don't you introduce to us um, who else is on the line? Carmen, it's great to be back with you. Thanks for the invitation. And I'm really glad to have my friend Slavko with me. Uh, Slavko is from Bosnia and Herzegovina, and he, he's always 
careful to, that we include the Herzegovina part because he is from the Herzegovina part of Bosnia and Herzegovina, a beautiful town called Mostar in the south. And uh, we met as he was the pastor of our evangelical church in uh, Sarajevo. And through that, knowing each other, we became really good friends. And when the opportunity came up to address some cultural issues going on in Bosnia and Herzegovina surrounding the cross, we wanted to try to answer some questions together. So I'm glad to have him here with us. So Slavko, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. I would love for you to um, tell us about your family, where you grew up, um, you know, introduce us a little bit to the place and the culture where you live so we can begin to get a window into what we're going to be talking about. Thank you. Good morning, Carmen, and good morning, Josh, and all listeners of Faith Radio. It's great to be with you in your program all the way from Sarajevo, Bosnia. Here is not morning, it's 2.40 p.m. Uh, yeah, about me and my family, as Josh said, I was born and raised in the city of Mostar, famous by old bridge from Ottoman Empire, and I live in Sarajevo now for almost 20 years. Uh, I was pastoring church here. I'm married, have two children, grown-up children, daughter who is 25 and son 22. So um, thank you, first of all, for joining us, and thank you for um, your being a brother in Christ who lives half a world away um, and and who accepted into uh, into community this um, this this boy named Josh. Um, why don't uh, Slavko? Why don't you tell us um, about your experience, uh, maybe of meeting and getting to know Josh, and then how this book came to be? Yes. Uh, well, I met Josh probably 12, 13 years ago, even before then he moved to live to Sarajevo. He was coming for short mission trips over the summer and uh, started attending church, which I was pastoring. We very quickly connected and became friends, and I was very happy when he moved to Sarajevo. We had very good cooperation. We were working together uh, excellent, I would say. Josh was leading uh, crew uh, student ministry, and we had very good cooperation. And a few years ago, and Josh will probably say more about that, but there was uh, one issue here in Bosnia and Herzegovina uh, that um, on the hill, actually in Sarajevo, on the hill above Sarajevo, a huge cross, 10-meter tall cross, was erected, and it was erected on the place from where a mortar shell was, mortar was shooting to town. And many people in town were not happy about that. So Josh and me, on those days, we had coffee in town. We were looking at that cross and came with an idea that we should write. At, at first, we were thinking about some tract or something shorter, which will explain the real meaning of the cross, not those distorted meaning. And that's how idea came, and then it developed, and it ended up as a book, Cross on a Hill. So, Josh, um, let's let's have you pick up the story there. Tell us about mm -hmm. the cross uh, on the hill in Sarajevo, mm -hmm. and um, and then you know tell us a little bit about what's uh, what you guys uncover and expose in the book. 
Yeah, Carmen, I mean, when we think about what the cross means in America, for example, I mean, people have crosses as earrings and necklaces, and it's a very common symbol, and, and there's not a lot of external controversy around that. But in Sarajevo, where we lived, which is 80% Muslim, that had gone through a three-year siege where uh, people uh, claimed to represent Christ were lobbing an average of 3,000 bombs a day down on the town and where more than 11,000 citizens died uh, during that siege. Uh, and then to have a symbol of the cross put on the hill right next to the uh, the gunner nest where, where people were shooting bombs from, it just, it created a, an amazing uproar in the town. I mean, newspapers, front page, top of the page news. There was a group of young, young people that went up and, and and tried to tear down the cross. So they were illegally trying to tear down the legally erected cross. It was it was so confusing. And I realized in that moment that the symbol that we kind of take for granted is kind of complex. And if we look through history, which is one thing we do in the book, you realize that there's points in time where people have taken the symbol of the cross, combined it with some sort of nationalism or, or play for power, or, or overuse of identity, and it's not turned out so well. Uh, examples being uh, the founding of, of the KKK using the burning cross, or, um, or some might say some of the things that the, the turning point in that with, with Constantine when the cross became a symbol of his army and he, he overtook Rome. So uh, we just realized this is really much more complicated uh, especially in a pluralistic society. And so let's let's take a historical and biblical look at, at what the cross is and see if we don't see a better and bigger picture of Jesus than we would otherwise. Such good, um, I mean, just so many really good historical examples mm-hmm. of the uh, misrepresentation and misuse of the cross and then this, you know, very contemporary experience that the two of you shared the book is Cross on a Hill, a personal, historical, and biblical search for the true meaning of a controversial symbol. The co-authors are Josh Irby and Slavko, whose last name I'm not sure I should try to pronounce. So can one of you help me? Yes, I can help you, Carmen. My family name is Hajic. Hajic. See, I knew I was going to mess up. It looks like a Z to me, but um, there's a whole pronunciation guide in this book. And uh, and so um, Slavko is uh, gracious to allow me to call him uh, simply by his first name as my brother. We got to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen, even though it's afternoon in Sarajevo. This is Max Licato. When I see a flock of sheep, I see exactly that, a flock, a rabble of wool, all alike, but not so with the shepherd. To him, every sheep is different, every face is special, every sheep has a name, and that includes you. The shepherd knows you, he knows your name, and he will never forget it. He says in Isaiah 49:16, I have written your name on my hand. Your name is on God's hand. Your name is on God's lips. Perhaps you've never seen your name honored or heard it spoken with kindness. It's so, it may be more difficult for you to believe that God knows your name, but he does. Written on his hand, spoken by his mouth, 
your name. You just keep listening. Be sure to hear when God whispers your name. This is Max Lucado. of America you live and um, and maybe how engaged your church has been in welcoming refugees from around the world. Um, maybe you know uh, friends and neighbors uh, from Bosnia and uh, who maybe came in the mid-1990s. Um, the nation is now Bosnia, Herzegovina, Hopefully I'm now pronouncing that correctly uh, mm-hmm. because I was mispronouncing it before. And joining us um, joining us from Sarajevo, Pastor Slavko, along with Josh Irby, who is in Atlanta. They are the co-authors of Cross on a Hill. I, I commend this to you um, as you're listening today because uh, when we see a cross on a hill, we we think of certain things and have certain ideas, and other people think of different things and have other ideas. And this is an opportunity for us to talk about um, the way that the Bible, uh, the the way that the cross has been misrepresented and misunderstood um, and misused, not only over the course of history, but but how that even happens today. Slavko, I'd love for you to um, share with us um, what what life is like uh, for Christians in your fellowship uh, there in Sarajevo and what Easter will be like. Uh, Christian community, born again Christians, are minority in Bosnia and Herzegovina. There are not many of us. Uh, it's under 0.1%. Uh, and there are many reasons for that. I guess that we don't have time to go deeply into them. But when Reformation started just briefly uh, in Europe, Bosnia and Herzegovina was already under Ottoman Empire. And uh, gospel didn't penetrate, of course, if uh, gospel was here uh, right after Jesus' time. Uh, But then there was a long time without gospel. And uh, till late of 19th century, gospel didn't penetrate Bosnia and Herzegovina. Uh, So that are reasons. Then we had 50 years of communism, which didn't help at all. And uh, after this last war and during the war, as you mentioned, Carmen, many people left the country. And during the war, actually, many people did become believers and accepted Jesus as the Lord and the Savior, but also many of them left the country. So average church size here is around 30 to 40 believers. If it is church with 50, 60 believers, it's considered as a large church, mega church almost. Uh, we have very close fellowship. We all know each other, uh, and that is good when you have a small church. We are really like, like a family. How life looks today, it's very different than how it looks a year ago because of COVID restrictions. We cannot meet in person. So we have online meetings, online worship. We do meet in small groups, four or five people to pray and to study the Bible. And Easter also, it will depends how COVID restrictions will develop. Hopefully it will not be online, but we, we don't know at the moment. 
I wanted you to um, to share that, Slavko, because many American Christians um, really do not know what the experience of our brothers and sisters in Christ is like around the world, and we only have um, glimpses and uh, glimpses into what uh, what a fellowship of 30 to 40 believers constituting a church would be like. And so people here in the United States, you know, they see 30, 40 people in their church and they think, wow, my church has, um, you know, has uh, cannot possibly have an impact in my community. It's so small. And I want them to hear that God is using uh, congregations that may appear small in number to us to make a huge impact um, in the world today, and one of those places that that is happening is by the witness and testimony of Christians like you um, in, in Sarajevo. So, um, so we want to honor and celebrate what God is doing in and through congregations of various sizes around the world. And I love it that four or five people are gathering together for prayer and to study Scripture because that is a, a total testimony to um, to the reality of the presence of the Holy Spirit and the work of Christ in the world today uh, through his body manifested in the church. So I wanted to just pause and celebrate you as a pastor and honor your service and honor the congregation that you serve and the people with whom you labor uh, in Christ's name there in your community. Thank you, Carmen. If I can add in line of what you said, one of characteristics of church in Bosnia and Herzegovina is that most of the believers are first-generation believers. Uh, before war, in 1992, there was just a handful of, of born-again Christians. So now we have maybe up to 1,000, and 90% of them are first-generation Christians. Now we are raising second-generation, our children and uh, but uh, when you had a deep personal encounter with Jesus that put zeal in, in your heart. And also uh, in Bosnia and Herzegovina, I would not say that we are in persecution because I know that around the world there are many Christians who are under such bigger pressure. But here in Bosnia and Herzegovina, it's not easy to be Christian. It's costly. It can cost you relations with your family. It can cost you your workplace, your friends. And really, people who really encounter Jesus, they are becoming Christians. And that brings, as I said already, a lot of zeal and passion in church. Um, Slavko, if people listening right now, in addition to praying for you um, and, and your congregation and your people and the witness of Christ in your nation— um, if there were one other thing that you might ask of your brothers and sisters in Christ listening right now, what might that be? Well, prayer is most important, and you already mentioned that, so please pray for revival here in Bosnia and Herzegovina. Uh, another thing than that at this moment is not coming to my mind, but please do pray for us. Well, good. Okay. Um, Josh, we got a couple of minutes left. Um, what did I miss in terms of covering uh, the topic that you had hoped that we would share with listeners today? Well, I'm just glad to have Slavko share about his story a little bit. And and I hope people do pick up the book, especially read Slavko's story. Um, and the cross has been misused throughout history, but the cross is also powerful. But we didn't have time for Slavko to share how he grew up in a atheistic, communistic family. 
how he joined the joined the mafia in his country and how through through war through becoming a refugee the power of the cross jesus brought him into relationship with himself and has carried him through many different difficult things in his life and so this this crazy symbol the cross what it represents in, in Jesus's uh, sacrifice is powerful. And so I hope that as people read the book, they, they realize that this cross while, while misused many times is actually has a power to save. So the book is Cross on a Hill, a personal historical and biblical search for the true meaning of the controversial symbol. The co-authors are Josh Irby uh, and uh, Slavko. Hold on. I'm going to get it. Hajik. Was I close? Uh, very close. Very close. Oh. I'm going to work on it. I will work on it, gentlemen. Um, Slavko, thank you so very much. Please give uh, our encouragement to our brothers and sisters in Christ today. Be encouraged. Um, thank you for your willingness to come and share with us. Thank you for the book. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to come in to listeners. This is a great book to use uh, in in what here in America we would call a book club. Um, This is a great book to use in conversation, generation to generation. It provokes um, using someone else's story. It will provoke um, people to talk about their own experiences of uh, misconceptions of the cross, misunderstandings of the cross, the misuse of the cross in their own lives or the lives of others that they know. Um, It is really a wonderful opportunity to get uh, discussions started about the cross on the hill of Calvary, um, in addition to the crosses on the hills that we uh, sometimes erect around us in the world today. So, uh, Slavko and Josh, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. Blessings upon each of you and the ministries uh, into which God has called you today. Thank you, Carmen. It was a pleasure to be in your program. God bless you. God bless you. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.